0: So our troubled times have shifted a bit, Andrew, since we began the program just a few short yes. months ago. We had started in a time of plague and pestilence. And while that's not gone away, it appears to be receding. pleasantly. Right. But now we've added actual war to the mix in, in the real world.
1: <laughs> yes, uh, unfortunately. Almost,
0: yes. I'm not for, very unfortunate. It's almost like we're working our way through the, the horsemen of the apocalypse. And spring is coming, thankfully. But while it's much less important with baseball, on an indefinite pause for me that is famine that is like cultural (laughs) famine yeah so if we keep up this pace um there's only one horseman left which is death yeah so welcome to the podcast everybody (laughs) Uh, it's great to be here episode five god versus god all the more reason frankly why we need to follow the mission of this program to go to the bench to audition the gods available to help us out to get us through this mess and for those of you who are new to the program, that's that's how we do it. At the end of the season, we'll go to give one golden god to compete for the chance to have the ultimate comeback, get back to us, and hopefully save our hides from this ever-messing world we find ourselves in.
1: Right. right. And some people have said, uh, why can't you guys hurry it up? But <laughs> good <laughs> things take time. Yes. Yeah, trust the process. <laughs> that's yeah, exactly trust right. the process. So. That's right. And I will say, as a fun fact,
0: I was when I was refreshing my memory on the four horsemen. Uh, of course, the book of Revelations, we don't talk about the Christian Bible very often. No, really kind of outside of our swim lane. Uh, I did not know this, but that fourth horseman, when he comes around, of course, it is John the apostle who is having this vision in the book of Revelations at the end of the Bible. Yeah. And that fourth horse is accompanied by none other than the co star of our last episode, Hades himself. Oh, in the Bible. So there is actually like crossover potential here at the very end. There's this sort of universe is melding. It's like a stinger at the end of a Marvel movie. They throw in an entirely different tradition. I was not aware of that. So that opens up a lot of possibilities. Yeah. So I don't know if they're they're still working on the Bible, but if they are (laughs) a lot of potential. Yep. So we got a good one. Uh, Andrew and I went back to the automatic uh, God generator through to the fates after our previous episode, episode four and we drew the pairing we've got tonight. So we're going to start with Prometheus. Uh, that will be the first segment. Yep. And the second segment will be the Moiré. Uh, so a couple of firsts for us. So we've got in right. Prometheus, the first Titan that we have have covered on the program. Yeah, that's true. Old lineage of the gods. Uh, and I believe with the Moiré, the first threesome, which is also <laughs> new.
1: So yeah. they, they drew themselves. They're like, all right, enough of this.
0: Yeah, that's right. It was very close to home for the fates. So That's what we've got tonight. Uh, And without further ado, let's jump in. So Prometheus, as I mentioned, a Titan, uh, the god of forethought, god of crafty counsel. We talked about the Titans a little bit in the previous episode as the kind of beginner gods, that first generation descended from the giants and the monsters, these big kind of primordial beings that were really unrefined, previous to the gods that we know Uh and and, and love now. prometheus is, is from that line descended a couple generations down but that's where he comes from he's best known uh for stealing fire from the gods and giving it to to us to the to the human beings yeah uh doing us a solid way back when but that's only really the beginning andrew of, of, of his okay. resume like apollo a few episodes ago he's there's so much more to prometheus so we're going to We're going to cover the high points here. You know, he's got some high points. He's the creator of of mankind. So really giving credit for for coming up with with us, with (laughs) with human beings. We we can't wait wait for that one. That's right. Uh, The champion of humanity. Also known for his great intelligence, uh, was the author of the arts and sciences, gave us technology, but also a bit of a trickster, uh, known for his deceptions. And ultimately, one of those uh, gave him the punishment that he's so well known for that we will end the segment on. so he was the god of forethought, but kind of a mixed bag. You know, he was—he knew it was coming. He strove. He sometimes overreached. There was unintended consequences. I, I do find myself with a soft spot for him because he was this kind of this lone wolf genius out there doing his thing, sticking up for us, sticking up for the little guy. And, that, you know, doing that made him some enemies along the way, particularly among his, his fellow gods. We're going to hear about his lifelong beef with uh, the boss himself, our returning jam- champion, Zeus. And yep. uh, their relationship is really quite fascinating. There were a lot of, of things to each other. They were sort of peers, of course, as, as gods in some ways. Different generations. You had a Titan on one hand, an Olympian on the other. So some, some different parts of the family tree. An interesting sort of mob boss, mob lieutenant uh, dynamic okay. at work here. Uh, so to borrow a, a term, uh, somewhat also frenemies, I think would be accurate. <laughs> they, they, they had sunny parts and dark parts to their relationship. Okay. So all of us should look at prometheus as this rebel he not only gave us fire but he took a lot of heat for us so i think he deserves some respect so let's go back way back to his origin story now given that he was there close to the very beginning there's a lot of source material on prometheus he's from that older generation so multiple cultures have had their takes on him not just the greeks and the romans but all sorts of other traditions have their version of him there are similarities there are contradictions. Uh, Pretty recognized, the best-known account is from Aeschylus, the 5th-century Greek tragedian, uh, who not, as you know, not only wrote one play about Prometheus, but a full trilogy. So he gave us Prometheus Bound, Prometheus Unbound, and Prometheus the Firebringer. Now, this trilogy was a big hit back in 5th-century Greece. It was a big deal. It was, dare I say, it was the Godfather trilogy of its time. Uh, Unlike the Godfather, however, this third chapter of his trilogy has been lost to history. Okay, So we had no such luck with The Godfather Part 3, <laughs> but uh, that is the case with Aeschylus. Now, I do kid. I, I, I do like The Godfather Part 3. I stick up for it. There's a lot of good in it. Like Prometheus himself, I think it's gotten a raw deal over the years. But through the ages, uh-huh. all the great thinkers have weighed in the Prometheus, everything from Plato, Shakespeare, Percy Shelley, Kafka, Ayn Rand, you name it. Everyone's got an interpretation. Dare I say there's probably enough material to do an entire season of a podcast on Prometheus alone. Wow. Which I'm sure is exactly what our audience is clamoring for. So why don't you guys do 10 hours of content on each God instead? So like,
1: that's like two episodes. <laughs> roughly
0: two. Yes. <laughs> if you cut the music out. Uh, so for our purposes here, we're going to focus on the highlights. Uh we'll cut it, keep it under 10 hours. But we'll, we'll talk about what most traditions will agree on. Go, go to some of the source material that some of my favorites, of course, Edith Hamilton's mythology, uh, Thomas Bullfinch his mythology and some occasional yep. passages from Aeschylus himself I will work in um, I have taken the liberty of translating them to English for the program <laughs> uh, just in case well, thanks, so. in Greek yeah. is a little rusty um, so will the, the prose is so juicy in these I think I think you'll appreciate some of the direct quotes it's very it's very visceral excellent so as I said one of the Titans, the elder gods from the original descendants back to the days of heaven and earth, Cronus, Uranus, Gaia, that crowd from the very beginning, these were gigantic beings. They were very early prototypes. They were often monsters. You know, you've got one with a hundred hands, a single eye, you've got serpents, dragons, very much like rough drafts of, of, of okay. beings, uh, but yet very powerful and they were there to shape the world that we got the world as we know it. So previous episode, episode we talked about Cronus and Rhea and all their adventures with the castration, the child eating, the regurgitation, all that good stuff. We won't go through that again. Once was more than enough and probably (laughs) traumatic uh, for many of us. But suffice it to say, Prometheus is on the other side of that family tree. So if Cronus and Rhea are over here, they've got some siblings, Ocean, who is just essentially the ocean, and Tethys. So they get together, they bear Iapetus, who becomes the father of Prometheus and his brother Epimetheus. So Prometheus ends up Of these two as the god of forethought that's where the pro comes from Uh, epimetheus sadly is the god of afterthought so he is the dim-witted of the two um there's a lot of historical firsts in this story and and i think epimetheus is the historical first example of the idiot brother character uh from the very beginning he set the tone for what it's like to have a a dim-witted sibling so we owe him that so you've got the two of them uh Atlas was the third brother. We'll save most of his stories I think for another yep. time, but we know the basics on him. So on that part of the family tree, you've got Epaitus the father. Mother is unknown. It's probably Asia, which is one of the 3000 children of Ocean and Tethys. So they had okay. 3000 daughters. Uh wow. which means yes, Prometheus's parents were both each other's siblings, but as we often do mention on this program, there weren't that many options back yeah, then. Yeah,
1: as was the style at the time. It
0: was. It was, it was not only fashionable, but uh, sort of biologically necessary. And I suppose he gets something of a pass because he had 3,000 sisters. So there was at least a bit of, hopefully some diversity there. So as we always say, it's complicated. But I know you're thinking, hey, if, if the parents are both from the same family tree, aren't you going to risk some birth defects? I mean, you've probably seen royal families. You've seen deliverance. And yes, there there were some 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 risks involved. But when you look at that family portrait of the Titans, like I said, Cyclops, serpent, dragon, so it's a mixed bag. It's a monstrous right. bunch. So you'll recall from the past episode, from the last episode four, that once Zeus emerged, he and the Olympian siblings began the great ten year war to avenge against the Titans, the Titanomachy. Um, yep. Now this is pre human. It's only gods. It is god versus god in the in the original form pre podcast. <laughs> And Zeus and the Olympians, after 10 years, win the war, in large part because Zeus gets help from one of the Titans who takes his side, and that is Prometheus. So Prometheus knows that even though he's fighting against his fellow Titans, he knows how to essentially pick a winner. And that's what he does. So you start to see some complexity here. He says these Titans are a little rough around the edges. They're not really my people. Um, They're a dysfunctional family. So fights for the other side.
1: And he's a bit traitor. Displaying
0: that forethought. Exactly right. He kind of, yeah, that's right. He knew, he knew where it was headed and he picked the winner. So Zeus feels good about that, gets his help. And then once he beats the Titans, of course, takes vengeance against all of them that he has defeated, sends a number of them to Tartarus, to the underworld. He sentences Atlas, who is the brother of Prometheus and Epimetheus, to bear the weight of the world on his shoulders, of course. So mm-hmm. that is the Atlas punishment. Um, so Zeus already showing a talent for creative punishments of those he's, uh, he wants to seek some vengeance on. Um, but he spares Prometheus because Prometheus took his side in the war. Got a few Titans to finish off. So he finishes off Typhon, who's the beast with the hundred heads. He finishes yeah. off a last battalion of giants. He's got the Thunderbolts. He knows how to use them. And he's got his son, Hercules, who's already impressing his dad, the boss, in the family business of defeating on the battlefield. So finally cleans up the rest of the mess. And with all this setup complete against the Titans, it's time to kick back and do what Zeus wanted to do the whole time. Just live the good life and essentially be worshiped. Yeah. But there are no humans to do it. So Zeus has to send out his first task. And, and in, in what I think is his first sort of sign of becoming a mob boss, uh, Zeus thanks Prometheus for his service and gives him a, essentially a patronage job and says, all right, why don't you, I assign you to create human beings so that they can, they can worship us and particularly me. Yeah. And in Prometheus, and what is the first example of being like a mob lieutenant, immediately delegates the task and says, hey, I, got a, I got a brother who can handle this. I don't have a lot of family left, but I got this brother. So his dim-witted brother, Epimetheus, gets the job, takes care of his own. And of course, Prometheus is all about the forethought, very wise, but Epimetheus, afterthought. Goes with his gut, likely to change his mind later. So Prometheus, good at strategy, bad at delegation. Epimetheus embraces the assignment. He's, he's going to make human beings, he's excited. He's going to warm up, starts by making animals. He's going to starve the animals, work his way up to man. But he gets, you know, he goes with his gut, Starts getting kind of a little agitated. Gives the animals all the good stuff. He gives them strength, swiftness, courage, shrewd, cunning, and he gives them all the good physical characteristics. They get fur, and feathers, and wings, uh-huh. and shells. And by the time Epimetheus gets around to men, essentially all the good stuff is gone. <laughs> His resources have been exhausted, so he can't give men protective covering. He can't them any. can't give them the kinds of qualities they're going to need to be a match for these beasts. I believe is the first time in history that a subcontractor goes way over budget. That's what he does. So, as so often is the case, he comes groveling back to his brother, to Prometheus, and says, "Yeah, oops, sorry about that. Help brother out." Yeah. And Prometheus, being a good brother, cuts his, cuts his idiot brother some slack. He takes over the job. He has the wisdom to know when to step in, and he kind of asks himself, with all these really well-equipped animals around, how do I make mankind superior? So the first step is to make give them a more a noble shape to have them stand erect like the gods. So as Bullfinch says, he gave him an upright stature so that while all other animals turn their faces downward, he raises his to heaven and gazes on the stars. So already making good design choices out of the gate. But that's not enough. They need tools. They need the technology. So Prometheus flies to the heavens all the way to the sun, lights a torch, and then brings down what only the gods before then were allowed to have, which of course is, is fire. And I'll quote Aeschylus directly here. And now, though feeble and short-lived, mankind has flaming fire, and therefrom learns many crafts. So not just fire, flaming fire, the good
1: stuff.
0: (laughs) Yeah, The good stuff, yeah, right. Top shelf. So once men have fire, they become the foundation for all the technology that they slash we need, all the tools and dominion over the animals. So as Bolfin says, it enabled him to make weapons wherewith to subdue them tools with which to cultivate the earth, to warm its dwelling, so as to be comparatively independent of climate, and finally to introduce the arts, to coin money, the means of trade and commerce. So pretty much everything comes from fire. It's not just lighting a cigarette. This is the full (laughs) full toolkit. So Prometheus, by stepping in, of course, saves the day. Mankind is up and running. And I do use the term mankind intentionally. It is just men at this point. So essentially the whole... Planet is just a big stag party. Nothing but dudes and, and campfires with their new flaming fire. Probably so some barbecue. Yeah, right, right. So Prometheus is very happy with his creation. And he's, 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 he's loving the way humans are turning out. Even though he's a god and they're just mere mortals, he still really loves them. And he wants to, to start to stack the deck in their favor to kind of keep making things better for human beings. And this is where the trickster side of him really comes out. Now, Prometheus, you'll recall, knows that Zeus really wants to be worshiped. Uh, so he sets up what's going to be the first animal sacrifice and in, in the event is known as the trick at Meconi. It's, it's known for the trick that Prometheus pulls off. So there's going to be a sacrificial meal. The, the goal is to settle the accounts between gods and men to figure out, all right, how are we going to do this? How will you men worship us gods through sacrifice? So Prometheus goes out, finds an ox, slays it, divides the thing into two piles. And this is his trick. And the first pile he puts all the good stuff, all the good barbecue stuff, all the meat, most of the fat, but he covers it up with the disgusting stomach of the animal and throws like some entrails on top. So on the outside, it looks really disgusting. Yeah, but All the good stuff is hidden inside. In the second pile, he takes the rest of the animal, just the bones, takes a little bit of the fat, kind of covers them up in that. So they, the, the bones look very shiny and appealing on the outside. They're kind of glistening. Kind of There's that really presentation presentation is what it's all about. So underneath, nothing but bones, but they're nice and shiny. So Prometheus says, hey, you're the boss, Zeus. I give you two options, your call. Uh, which pile would you like? Now, we know from past history and episodes, Zeus is, is the all-powerful god of gods, but occasionally we'll make a mistake. And in this case, he, he chooses the second pile, which looks great, but ultimately is useless underneath. And he sees that as soon as he starts to, to reckon with it. Uh recognizes he's been deceived in front of the entire dinner party he is not <sighs> thrilled about this. So this is important. As we've discussed before, Andrew, there are no takebacks in the world of right. Greek mythologies. As a result, he sets a precedent. And because of that choice, this will dictate now how every animal sacrifice will happen for the remainder of time. Pretty so true. every altar wow. from there. Yeah. So the humans get to keep the keep the bones, or I'm sorry, keep the meat, give up the bones, and keep all the good stuff for themselves because Prometheus tricked Zeus. Now, Prometheus, after this, really especially pleased with himself because he took <laughs> care of his dudes. He is in the parlance of our time. He has set them up for success. Uh, he thinks he's been wise and, and compassionate. And Zeus, on the other hand, is furious at having right. been, been tricked. And, he, and you know, from his point of view, it makes a lot of sense. It's like, you know, you helped me beat the Titans. Even though you're one of them, I give you this sweet job making men. And once it's time for the sacrifices, you trick me at this big dinner in front of all my friends, not cool. So Zeus says, all right, It's time for revenge in two stages. First, I'm going to get my revenge against men, men themselves. And then I'm going to up the ante and punish their benefactor, Prometheus, their pal. So he starts with men. And he he begins to, to conceive of what might be the biggest evil that men could have to deal with to ruin the great time they're having. And that supposed evil is, you guessed it, woman. All right. Now, as a disclaimer, Andrew, I am merely recounting Right. What Zeus's point of view was at the time. I will no way endorse women being anything but glorious and extraordinary. I'm merely the messenger in this story. But Zeus figured if I throw women at these guys, that will ruin their good time forever. So he goes for it. He creates this sweet, lovely creature, sort of takes on the likeness of this, this shy maiden, and all the other gods are blown away at what he's putting together, so much so that they they want to contribute to it. So Venus gives this woman beauty. Apollo gives her music. Hermes gives the art of persuasion, so on. And they give her actual physical gifts too. they give her flowers, they give her a crown. So many gifts that they end up calling her Pandora, which means the gift of all. So Zeus creates Pandora with the intention of ruining everything. And it's not though Pandora herself is wicked, she's not, but she has just a certain insatiable curiosity that was uncommon to men at that time, which I don't know if that's really changed much since those (laughs) those days, but uh, nonetheless, the gods are at it. And in their mode of create, creation, for some reason, in creating Pandora, they also decide to take a box and put all the bad things in the box. So every sort one of ill knows. and plague, yeah, I guess you got to get rid of your remnants, right? So all the good stuff goes into Pandora, all the bad stuff goes into this box. And they give it to Pandora as sort of her parting gift when they're about to, to release her to the world. They say, but you can't open the box, you got to keep it closed. And here's the real stroke of genius. So when they decide to send Pandora, when the gods are are making their delivery, where do they send her to? Well, of course, they send her straight to Epimetheus, the god of afterthought and the dim-witted brother. Now, as you can imagine, Prometheus had a conversation with his brother and said, hey, man, Zeus is not going to be thrilled with me right now. I just pulled some shenanigans at the big dinner. (laughs) If he tries to, like, send us anything, do not accept any packages from Zeus.
1: I don't sign.
0: Now, do not just reject it right. And Epimetheus says, yeah, brother, I got it. Sure, sure. And as soon as the door opens, Pandora's there. He immediately sees this beautiful creature. Hey, come on in. So glad you're here. Cool box. Get on in here. So he definitely uh, accepts the package. Now, eventually, with her lively curiosity, of course, Pandora is going to not need to know what's in the box. Epimetheus doesn't have the smarts to stop her. He's not seen the ending to the movie Seven yet. Uh, to be aware of such things because it will not come out for several thousand years. So eventually Pandora does lift the lid and out of the box fly these plagues innumerable, all the sorrow and mischief for mankind. And Bullfinch lists the contents as gout, rheumatism and colic for his body and envy, spite and revenge for his mind, which is sort of history's first list of side effects in one of those commercials that they run (laughs) during the news. So it's like, if, if you experience gout or spite, call your doctor. Do not open Pandora's box if you are allergic to Pandora's box. So, in the state of terror, she closes the lid, but it's too late, and everything is escaped. But inside the box, there's still one good thing that remains, and that is hope. So that is it is a good lesson for two good lessons for men. First of all, hope is going to be your sole comfort, no matter what misfortune is happening. As Bullfriend says, "Whatever evils are abroad, hope never entirely leaves us, and while we have that, no amount of other ills can make us completely." Wretched. So there's always they still have hope, but more importantly, lesson number two is you cannot get the best of Zeus, and they've learned that the hard way. But now that Zeus has taken care of humanity with his gift of Pandora and all of her assorted ills unboxed, now it's time to step up to Prometheus himself and 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 dole out his punishment. And this is you know these guys have been through it, man. I mean, Prometheus is his former comrade in arms. He was his mob lieutenant. He was his artist in residence. Technically, I guess his distant cousin, if you (laughs) work the family tree a certain way. Uh, But he obviously has two reasons to be upset. First, he stole fire, which was like stealing from him. And then second, all the stuff with the glistening ox bones at the dinner. So it's time to pay. So Zeus dispatches two of his henchmen, who have the great henchman name of force and violence, which is pretty great, uh, to seize Prometheus, which they do. They take him to the Caucasus, the mountains, and they bind him to a rock with unbreakable chains. And then once he's tied up, they tell him, and I'm quoting Aeschylus again here, forever shall the intolerable present grind you down. And he who will release you is not born. Such fruit you reap for your man-loving ways. A God yourself, you did not dread God's anger, but gave to mortals honor, not their due. And therefore you must guard this joyless rock. No rest, no sleep, no moment's respite. Groans shall your speech be, lamentation your only words. So he was too nice too nice to men. He was too nice to us. And this is his punishment. Now, importantly, it's kind of a, it's not merely torture for the sake of punishment. There's a second reason for it. So Zeus also needs a critical piece of information from Prometheus, which is why he's chained him up. Okay. So he knows that the fates have decreed that someday he will have a son who will be born to him. And, and as has happened in generations in the past, that son will overthrow Zeus and cast the gods out of heaven. Now, in a twist of fate, Zeus knows that will happen, but he doesn't know which son it will be. We know, you and I, that Zeus is going to have lots of children. He's he's (laughs) Randy that way. Uh, But he has no idea which of the mothers he'll be with that will bear him, the son who will overthrow him. And as the fates would have it, Prometheus does know. And he's the only one who knows, but he's not talking. Wow! So Zeus chains him up, sends Hermes, the messenger, to the rock where Prometheus is all chained, and he demands that he give up the secret. But Prometheus stands firm. And as Aeschylus quotes him, he says, go and persuade the sea wave not to break. You will persuade me no more easily. Well, Hermes doesn't have that. He's like, you got to speak up now. If you don't spill the beans, and I will quote directly again here because the prose is is really so colorful. An eagle red with blood shall come, a guest unbidden to your banquet. All day long, he will tear to rags your body, feasting in fury on the blackened liver. So this eagle will day after day feast on the liver, in a never-ending cycle. Now, many years later, other titans that are monstrous will describe this treatment as enhanced interrogation techniques. But that phrase will not be in popular use until <laughs> several thousands of years later. It will be known as liver boarding if it, uh, if, it, if it survives. But it does not, only with Prometheus. So every day, the eagle comes back, pecks away. Every night, the immortal liver of Prometheus grows right back. But to his credit, Prometheus never breaks, never submits, keeps his secret, keeps his mouth shut right. the whole time. So his body is shackled, his spirit is free. He tells Hermes, there's no, sh- no force which can compel my speech. So let Zeus hurl his blazing bolts and with the white wings of the snow, with thunder and with earthquake, confound the reeling world. None of this will bend my will. And for Prometheus, it never did. Wow. Now we know that Prometheus eventually does get released, but generations later, he is in this tortured cycle for, for many, many years.
1: Right, and that's the um, part that I think that everybody knows about that right. is,
0: I, yeah. I, I saved that for for, for the save the best for last. But uh, different accounts of how he finally gets set free. Most agree that that Hercules uh, shows up as one of his his labors. He slays the eagle. Finally, gives Prometheus his freedom. Now, it's likely with the permission of his father Zeus. So he kind of got dad's sign off before he did it. But but kind of saving the day in that case was was Hercules. Now, it's not clear from the record whether why Zeus might have changed his mind. It's not clear whether Prometheus ever revealed his secret or kept it to himself. Um, That's not recorded, but we do know that throughout the bondage, he never yielded. So because of that, his name to this day remains associated with being a rebel, rebelling against great injustice and and authority. And personally, it gives me a little bit of comfort that there's somebody out there who's had a liver treated worse than the way I've treated (laughs) mine for 30 years. So maybe a personal connection there. So, you know, that's wrapping it up for Prometheus, like any God, he's a mixed bag. I think there's a lot to like about him. You know, he fought against his own family, sure. Uh But they were a bunch of monsters in his defense. Fixed all the mistakes of his idiot brother. Gave us, human beings, the qualities by stealing the fire. Gave us all the tools we needed. Because of his trickery, we can enjoy barbecues. Because of his so-called punishment, we get to have women around. So the greatest gift of all. Uh, And ultimately, for all these, he paid a really steep price and yet held on to his secrets all those years. So give him credit for that. Um, Uh I think part of why... There's so much resonance over the years with his story. There's just, he's kind of all these stories built into one. He's the creator, he's the sacrificer of all of humanity. You can see modern day religions borrowing some of those themes. And I think that's where his influence has lasted so long. And, and even with foresight, you know, in a way, he saw much of this coming, right. but he went through with it anyway, which I think is, says something about his character. So that's why I think he's a fascinating subject for every age, whether he is bound or unbound, despite being wise and powerful he remains on the side of us on the little guy's side right you and me human beings and that is the tale of prometheus in in a nutshell the non-10-hour version but yeah. uh, a good place good place to start very good very interesting yes very good well why don't we uh take our little first little breather there and uh we will come back with our second segment right after the break all right <laughs>
1: And we are back. All right, Matt. Thank you very much for the uh, Prometheus. Yes. Now we're gonna go to the Mores, who made a brief appearance in uh, in your episode, which I, which I knew was coming, so mm. I had to try to avoid that in my research. Uh, but the Moire are the goddesses of fate, and they are, as you said, a threesome—three sisters, mm. um, typically pictured in the act of spinning thread, like all the time they're going around. Uh, their spinning thread, uh, which is symbolic of the spinning of fate and the spinning of a mortal lifespan. So sometimes they're pictured as three elderly women, sometimes as stern young women, uh, most often as two younger women with uh, one older woman. Mm -hmm. So uh, the three sisters were Clotho, who was the spinner and her name means spinner and Lachesis, who was the measurer or portioner, and so measuring uh, human lifespan and quality control. Mm. And uh, Atropos, who is the one who would be the older sister, and her name means she who cannot be turned. Mm. And she was the one who cut uh, the the thread and uh, ended someone's life. So the Moray name actually does not mean fate or fates uh it translates as shares or allotted portions Hmm. um so that gets back into them really being involved in the span of a human's life that's your fair portion of life um and in contrast to prometheus we don't have much of a origin story at all with the fates Hmm. a couple different theories on who their parents were um which i'll talk about a little bit later uh but they just sort of appear, Yeah. despite what, what the, the names are. They're sort of always around. Um, there's no growing up, uh, anything like that. So uh, what it meant to be goddesses of fate is a little bit hard to pin down, uh, as it varied quite a bit at different times and different authors. So we'll get into that. Um, but there were some base agreed upon functions uh, that they did, some jobs they had. Uh, one was attending all mortal births. Mm. A couple of days after every child is born, the fates show up and kind of make their decision on what's going to happen to this kid. Um, and they also attend all the births of the gods and give out the powers that this god is going to have. Okay. Um, and they enforce all mortal deaths. So it's a lot of responsibility. Yeah, that's yeah. a lot of work. Heavy um, play and sometimes then accompanying them down to Hades. So they sometimes appear in the underworld. So do some, some business travel if you must. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they're, they're, their calendar is chock full. <laughs> they're, they're, they're really busy. That's why they had to bring the spinner with them everywhere they went. Cause yes. they had to multitask Got tool, um, tools with you on the road. Yeah. Yeah. Very so, um, but most of their appearances were pretty rote. Um, you know, the fates show up in the myths, kind of move the plot along a little bit bless what's happening, uh, hmm and then disappear. But it's, you know, when they're challenged or when the fates themselves sort of step out of their usual roles that they kind of move into the front of the stories. And those are the ones we're going to talk about uh, today. So, for example, in all the mortal births that they attend, there's only one instance where the Moray ever said anything about the fate of the newborn to the parents. So they would say things, but usually... Nobody hears it, uh, but for some reason this one day uh, <laughs> Prince Meleager was born and the more show up a couple days after um, and according to Hygenus, uh, a quote from him they thus sang his fate. Clotho said he would be noble. Lachesis said he would be brave. So pretty good so far. Yeah, two out of three sounds great. Yeah, two, you know, and then it's Atropos turn and in Ovid's metamorphosis we get there was a log and the moray placed it in the blazing hearth and as they spun the thread of fate they said to you babe newly born and to this log we give the same lifespan what
0: <laughs> so, oh.
1: there so so they're i like it that they're addressing the baby in this <laughs> baby you and this log have about half an hour <laughs> there you go so like, and you're not even like a dura flame you're like a regular old log you're not yeah, like a 2 just, hour Compressed wood, yeah. Uh, this-, this random blog we grab. So this prophecy pronounced, the sisters vanished, and at once the mother snatched the burning brand away and quenched the flame. So to, to give the log
0: they- a little bit more longevity.
1: Right? Yeah. So as soon as the as soon as they're out, she she puts the log out and uh, takes it out of the fire, hides it away, and does the trick. The baby Maligar lives into adulthood, and theoretically is now immortal as long as no one burns the log. Yes. So And no one knows about this except for the mother. Mm. Uh, so you think Leaguer is safe as long as he doesn't provoke a murderous rage in his own mother. This is true. Right. So yeah, that's just, a big if in, in, in yeah. Greek mythology sometimes. Just, just you know, he take out one the down. trash. <laughs> Don't complain. Uh, you know, uh, call on the holidays. Uh, but then Maligar murders his own uncles oh, in a dispute boy. over a boar skin after Hunt hmm. and his mother in a fit of rage throws the log into the fire. Ooh. And so uh, back in Ovid says Maligar burned, burned with those flames and felt a hidden fire scorching his vitals. So yeah, that's I'm not sure what the vitals are, but that's not good. <laughs> no. um, so Eventually the log burns down and his spirit slips away as over the embers spreads a veil of gray. So Mm. as it turns to ash, uh, there you go. So uh, perhaps fate was delayed, but eventually it does catch up to you or at least it caught up to Maligar. So it did, Um, you know, and usually it is the fates who decides when every mortal dies. However, Murder is one case where sometimes it was considered that that was outside of fate's plans. Um, and, and that's part of why it's a sin mm. uh, to murder someone because you're uh, going outside of fate. And the usual punishment for murder is to send in the Furies who are three vengeful, violent enforcer goddesses Yes. Uh, after the perpetrator. But there was one case where the murder was so brutal uh, that the more allowed the victim to be revived. Really? Uh, and so this is a uh, king of, from Lydia, which is in Turkey uh, named Tantalus and the name may, may ring a bell, but Tantalus was son, another one of the sons of Zeus, mm-hmm. uh, not the one that overthrew him. So uh, initially he was very favored by the gods and he's invited to dine up in Olympus. So, you know, gets to dine up there. It's a big now, invitation, yeah. Yeah. So up while table. he's there, he he steals ambrosia apparently yes. to try and uh gain immortality for himself. Um but I guess before that's discovered, um he actually returns the favors and invites the olympians over for a little dinner party. And they come over. So he's got the gods over for a dinner party. You know, and you have to make a special course for them. Sure. Uh, so what he does is he kills his son, Dismembers him <laughs> and serves his son as meat.
0: This was such a nice story. I mean, <laughs> he's got this beautiful trip, little side dinner ambrosia. My goodness, that is a curveball.
1: Yeah. yeah. So, and um, what he does in order to um, test the gods' powers of observation. Okay.
0: <laughs> make <laughs> make sure they're those, paying attention. Yes. Make sure you guys might have thought I was going to make
1: a turkey, but now instead you get Bruce.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah so uh you know so yeah, as as one does it's in the name of science i guess sure. um <laughs> i'm not sure if the proper uh forms were signed or not um but so all the gods other than demeter who is distracted by her mourning of her lost daughter persephone so this kind of puts places it in the time span yep yeah it's uh, going episode on episode two yep yeah during that time um So distracted, Demeter does take a bite of what turns out to be uh, the boy's shoulder. Mm. Makes a little bite by his shoulder. Uh, Then somebody clues her in. And Zeus orders or convinces Clotho to restore the son, Pelops, uh, to reassemble him and bring him back to life. Um, And they're able to put him all back together other than the missing shoulder. Uh, which was replaced uh, by an ivory shoulder that was made by um, Hephaestus. Nice.
0: Yes. So Ever the Craftsman, finding just the right moment to get innovative. I love it.
1: Yeah. So then he comes back in. Uh, and so a little bit on Tantalus to end, end him. So he is sent down to Tartarus, um, sentenced to stand in a pool of water, uh, I believe up to his neck, which retreats for him from him whenever he tries to drink it. And there is... A fruit tree whose branches are just above his head and then rise just out of reach every time he goes to pick it um, so he's never able to quench his thirst or save his hunger uh, for eternity and that is also of course where we get the word tantalized. He is
0: tantalized yes. yes
1: he is tantalized um, so uh, and occasionally the, the fates could be cheated actually and uh, the most famous case of that is King Admetus. Uh, King Admetus was a favorite of Apollo. So apparently at some point Apollo one of the times when he got kicked out of uh, heaven he did a little bit of uh, internship with yes. King Admetus. Uh, I believe was, we covered
0: uh, that in episode 3. He, yeah, he was a, as part of his penance for being uh, yeah, locked he, away he, for 9 years after after a murder.
1: Yes. So part of the idea that he did a year with Admetus uh, as a shepherd mm-hmm. and they get along pretty well. So uh Apollo wants to, you know, help him out. he says, gets, so he goes to the More sisters, you know, brings a bottle of wine, mm-hmm. gets them a, a little, uh, a little drunk. And then in that state, he's able to convince them to allow Admetus. When he's at the point of death, he can tag out as long as he finds a volunteer to take his place. Okay. So when you're ready to go, if you can find a volunteer, you can uh, get out of it.
0: And the trio so, agrees to this after having a couple of glasses of his bonus. Yeah.
1: Okay. Yes. So they, they agree. So, oh, yeah, sure, that's fine. As long as somebody <laughs> goes. <laughs> who are we to say? <laughs> well, they're all kind of, you know, whatever to us. Um, so, yeah. So, um, yeah, I should know this is out of character for the sisters. Um, we're usually very serious, somewhat cold and severe, uh, especially Atropos, who, as I said, is, is the oldest and the smallest and uh, always has her scissors with her ready to take a couple more uh, people out. Right. Um, So the day comes and everyone expects that Admetus's elderly parents are gonna step up and volunteer, you know, they love him, they're elderly, but they just sort of, you know, stared down at the sandals, um, slowly back out of the room. (laughs) Awkward. Yeah, mumbling something about, you know, having appointment at the temple of Asclepius, (laughs) I gotta go to, so, Um, in the end, It is his wife, Alcides, who volunteers and is sent down to Hades Mm -hmm. in her in her uh, husband's place. But thankfully, she is not forgotten. um, And it is either Persephone or Heracles, depending on the version, Mm -hmm. who goes down to Hades and rescues her. uh, And she's able to come back out. The only stipulation being that she is now not allowed to speak uh, when she returns. So she cannot give away the secrets. Of the underworld
0: sort of like an nda of the time yes (laughs) very severe but yeah very severe punishment for speaking up interesting wow
1: yes yes very 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 strict nda so um you know for mortals death was mostly inevitable Mm -hmm. uh, but there were two ways that could be avoided without getting crosswise Mm -hmm. of the moray sisters Uh, neither of which were widely available uh one is being transformed into a god uh, which is known as apotheosis. And we saw that in episode two with Psyche. Yes, after uh, the wedding are... with Cupid. Yep, that's yes. right. Yep. And Hercules is another one, and uh, with a couple others out there, which we may run into, um, or changing into an animal, uh, which is aka metamorphosis, which we saw in episode four with Saex and Alcyone in our last episode when they turned into Halcyon birds. So yes. that doesn't upset the fates uh, and it's close enough. So, hmm. um, and as I said before, there, there's a fairly wide range of interpretation as to how powerful uh, the Moray sisters were. So I was a little bit concerned when I started to read this, like, how am I going to make sense of it? How am I going to, you know, uh, relay this to the listeners? Um, hmm. You know, for one thing that there, there weren't the only fate, uh, related goddesses there also is taiki who's hmm. the goddess of luck and ananki who is a primordial goddess uh of necessity who's sometimes held to be uh their their mother um and they share some degrees uh the workings of fate taiki is sort of the short-term game and uh ananki is the very very long-term sort of arc of the universe type with the more a Sort of being in the middle uh, between those two,
0: so they're more the person to person end to end, yes, yeah, turf, perfect. and then the, these other yeah, I get it, okay.
1: Tykes, you know more uh, hand- handling your bet on the nets or whatever, sure. right? <laughs> those kind of things. Um. So, but possibly the most important degree of difference, uh, depending on the author sect, is you know how much predestination they they believe in. Um, You know, and it's uh, understandable that it's not consensus because we probably don't have consensus today among Christian sects or secular philosophies. Uh, So I just decided to kind of leave that one alone. But, you know, I think in one sense, most people realize that there are significant aspects of our lives that play out that are beyond our control. Um, Everything from whether a young woman decides to go to a friend's birthday party Mm -hmm. so you can meet her, fall in love and marry her to, you know, missing that car accident just by a hair and yep. a red light. So, yep. you know, I'd those things, is it, uh, is it fate? Is it random? Uh, but spoiler alert, we're not going to figure that out here in this podcast. <laughs> no. Oh, it's, it's beyond even our, even our remit. Um, <laughs> so uh, the other big question, uh, which I think came up in uh, your episode and your half the episode of Prometheus is you know, do the Moray sisters report to Zeus or not? Um, uh, but, you know, what I found is for the most part, it isn't a problem because the Zeus and the Moray sisters are pretty closely aligned. Mm-hmm. In some traditions, Zeus is their father uh, with, with Themis uh, who is the goddess of divine law. Um, and one of Zeus's nicknames is Zeus Morighetis, uh which is means leader of the, of the More So um, and they often appear at his temples, have a little a thing, uh, showing that they are subservient to him, um, and they are generally his allies. We you talked about uh, Typhon, who is the winged, half man, half snake, giant monster. Yes, uh, was one of the god's most dangerous foes, and in that battle with him, uh, the sisters tricked Typhon into eating some spiked fruit that would weaken him, uh, basically telling him that it would actually strengthen him before the battle, and that allowed Zeus to overcome them. Um, And so talked a little bit about Heracles before, but we'll go back to his origin. Uh, Remember, this is a case where the Mori sisters were taking commands from Hera, actually. Hmm. Uh, Heracles is, of course, another of Zeus's children with a mother other than Hera, Yes. And um, let me
0: guess, Hera was somehow jealous. <laughs> yes. Jealous something. and angry.
1: Okay. So she she goes to the Mori sisters and asks them a favor. Says, could they just block Heracles from being born? That's yeah. it. Not yeah, asking for much. Yeah. You know, we'll, we'll let the mother go into labor. Mm. Let's start. Sure. Fine. <laughs> uh, and then just block the baby from being born and leave her in continuous birth banks. That Hera. Yeah. And the Mori sisters agreed. Uh, so they sat there uh, keeping their arms crossed, preventing Heracles from being born uh, and keeping the mother in continuous labor. Yeah. So watching this is uh, the mother's childhood friend. So a woman named Galenthius, and seeing the pain her friend is in and concerned, it's going to drive her mad. Galentheus tells the Moray sisters that by the desire of Zeus, the boy was to be born uh, to the mother and Zeus is going to take away all of their privileges are going to be revoked. Uh, And Moria sisters are upset immediately uncross their arms without thinking about it. And Heracles is born immediately. So you listen
0: to Hera the first time, but if you get overridden by Zeus, that changes the equation.
1: Yeah. So, so they, they, they're, they're concerned. So uh, they discover this, the they do discover the deception and they punish uh, Galinthius for deceiving the gods and turn her into a weasel who <laughs> is uh, impregnated through her ears and gives birth by vomiting her children. <laughs> <What? laughs> Again, I did not see that coming. <laughs> no, no, you don't, You never see that coming, do you? So
0: it was a deception. The thing about Zeus, she just made that up. To yeah, help she, just that up.
1: Yes. she just made that up. Yes, she just made that. She just said that. And uh, then she gets punished. Uh, she does get a little bit of a reprieve when she is adopted as the sacred servant of Hecate. So. still a weasel though
0: yeah as but a, a weasel as, servant as okay
1: weasel. at least a,
0: an employed weasel is is, is, is as a sense of purpose that's yeah good.
1: So, yeah oh, yeah pet uh so um again okay, that's an example where the mori sisters are clearly inferior uh to the gods or at least zeus they're right. afraid that he'll remove their powers um and they see themselves as subservient to zeus so i but then i'm going to give one uh contrasting uh example from ovid and this is one of the last books in the metamorphosis where aphrodite is upset at the impending assassination of julius caesar Mm -hmm. so who is uh supposedly her, her descendant and you know she the um aphrodite in her anxiety her fears throughout the heavens um in vain troubling the gods but they cannot break the rules of the ancient sisters according to this yeah um so avid gets a little bit of many people say and he says uh (laughs) many people say the owl of death sounded its sad omens in a thousand places a thousand places ivory statues wept incantations and mourning words were said to have been heard in the sacred groves and no sacrifice was favorable and the livers were found with cleft lobes, wow. which, uh, you know, in context, I guess cleft lobes is a bad thing. In the I was say is- <laughs>
0: I'm having a hard time picturing what a good liver looks like. I haven't had one yeah, in a long no, time. So,
1: I'm just taking that from context. Yes. Uh, so it says uh, dogs howled at night. Um, they say the silent dead walked. Earthquake sh- shook the city. Dogs and cats living together. Mass, mass hysteria, hysteria. Yep. 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 there you go <laughs> um but nothing they could do uh so jupiter uh or zeus i should say uh lets aphrodite know that nothing can do but he does describe a vision of the moray's house and he says there's a tapestry inside it um that you can go look at and there you'll see things written, a vast labor in bronze and solid iron mm. that eternal and secure does not fear the clashing of the skies, the lightning's anger, or any forces of destruction. There you'll find the fate of your descendants cut in everlasting adamant. Hmm. Uh, so um, then he goes on to say, well, basically, yep, Caesar's going to get killed, but don't worry because Augustus is going to take over and he's going to be great. Yeah. Literally. done a lot of super super things establish <laughs> the empire uh and ovid lists all the great things that augustus is going to mm. accomplish very lavishly and you know in completely unrelated note I should say that augustus happened to be on the throne at the time that ovid was writing fascinating yeah, yeah. so he just just
0: happened just to be happy. saying these very nice things about the sitting emperor
1: wow yeah all right yeah uh so, you know, again, this is a different version of the moray and the power of fate. Um, but I think it also shows the trade-off in their depictions, sort of, the more powerful they are, the more remote and removed they mm. are from current events. Uh, you know, that tapestry is already woven, at least since uh, the Trojan War, because it, go- it goes back to, uh, to there. And, you know, the more agency the sisters have, the more ad hoc they are, kind of the less weight and the more easily they are dismissed. Right. Uh, but they had a tough job of uh, keeping things in line, keeping the tapestry going. And uh, they did it, if not always very nicely. No, but but certainly creatively. Yes. There you yes. Go. Wow. Very nice.
0: I must confess, I, there, I, there was a lot of new information in that that I had no <laughs> idea. Those are some, some, some deeper cuts in the uh, yeah. mythological uh, storybook, but... Uh, great stuff did not (laughs) a lot of
1: surprise endings yes well done the twists of fate
0: yes well this should be an interesting matchup i should say uh for our final round our five categories why don't we uh take a quick breather and let's make our way to the final segment right after the break all right Our final segment of this riveting episode five where we go through our five categories to determine which of our two entrants will emerge to the round beyond this one in contention for the ultimate golden god andrew to you for the first of our five categories
1: yes and the first category is immortal combat so uh i'll take it off uh you know and this is one i you know i saved uh, one story uh good in the Shikantomaki, uh, they clubbed a giant with bronze clubs to death. Actually, they clubbed two uh, mm-hmm. giants to death, so that is a win for them. The Moray uh, did. The Morei did. Yes, they I, clubbed two. Wow. Yes, that. So uh, this is from Apollodorus, uh, or Apollodorus, uh, his Bibliotheca. So it's you know not a lot of details. It says, and the Fates fighting with clubs killed. Agrius and Thoas but you know it's maybe a little bit less uh, uh impressive than you might first think because they go through like there's a whole list like everybody gets one you know they, they name so this is maybe not the the giant's best they even have uh this giant was killed by Dionysus with a thyrsus Oh well, I mean that was a <laughs>
0: that was a very powerful stock of fennel, as we call. Yes, so, so yeah, um, yeah.
1: One. Yes. Hecate gets one. Athena gets a couple. Um, Poseidon gets one. You know, so but they, they did they did some fighting. You know, that's so, impressive.
0: Um, I I kind of in my mind had them as this kind of it's very much more thread based crafters. Yeah, uh, no, the call to battle they, they came through. That's that's great. They called
1: call to that battle. Um, you know, Atropos of course always carried a pair of scissors. Yes,
0: so always a sharp. weapon on hand. Very, very thoughtful. Yep.
1: Yeah. Um, you know they had some ability at deception, uh, as we saw with Typhon.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, on the bad side, they were uh, sometimes described as lame, uh, um, unable to less mobile because it symbolized the slow march of
0: fate.
1: Mm. Uh, yes. So you know a little bit uh limited mobility. Um, you know, and also kind of, I think, in general, a little bit above it all. Um Yes, not not really engaged in, in things, but
0: not wanting to get their hands dirty. Much more right. about calling the shots and, and sitting back.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, and when the, you know they, you know, say all right, this baby's going to die, and then they disappear. <laughs>
0: so <laughs> my work here is done. Yeah, yeah.
1: There you go. All right. So that, that's that's kind of all I had on yeah. on, on that. So
0: that's pretty uh, good. Yeah. Well, you know, Prometheus, of course, as a titan, you know, was very large, very powerful, had those sort of primordial elements of the world. He was third generation Titan. So you had the sort of, you know, he was the, the, the grandson, I guess, of of the original two at the top. So those okay. those powers may have degraded a little bit, but still you know, was a hero on the battlefield, uh, of course, in the Titanomachy. Right. Uh, Zeus gave him really a great deal of credit for, for helping him win, even though he was fighting beside many of his very powerful siblings. Um, so I think he's got a lot of strength there, proven in battle. Um, he did fly to the sun, which let's say, let's admit, is fairly impressive. I yeah. mean, flying is, as a skill is is a great thing to have in your in your corner. But all the way to the sun is is is, is a very long flight. Uh, more importantly, though, he got the fire when he stole it
1: all the way back to Earth.
0: Now, I haven't smoked a cigarette in many many years, but I remember even letting one in the wind very difficult. <laughs> yeah.
1: So taking yeah. one from yeah. the
0: sun all the way back down it's is some
1: pyrotechnic abilities.
0: Uh, it is. It shows a great discipline and and concentration. Uh, similar to the Moray in terms of, of of being a little you know deceiving, obviously, there's a trickster element yep. to Prometheus that kind of matches that. he He knows when to uh, to pull strings and and uh, and potentially deceive those in powerful. And that said though, you know as powerful as he was, you get some chains and an eagle that's trained, and you can keep him down for a long time. So <laughs> that's true. Are, he's not yeah. it's not impossible yeah. to keep down. But even from there, he did get free. So, yeah. I think you know, as as a Titan, as a proven warrior, um, as somebody who's got the powers of, of that generation of God, I think right. I think in the who would win question, I think he's Prometheus is going to get my vote there.
1: Right. You uh, know, and, and even though it is uh, three on one, and and, I, and I, was, <laughs> I was, I was, I was impressed a little bit. You know that they did, uh, you know, take out a couple of giants. Yes. Uh, with clubs but like i said this didn't seem to be the giants a crew uh they all they all kind of got wiped out (laughs) um in in apple doris's telling so i'm gonna agree with you i I think in in that case that uh the most likely outcome is is that uh right that he's gonna take
0: and not to get too sort of metaphysically granular but i can't imagine that the fates would be able to to determine the fate of their own fight against a foe right yeah
1: I i did think about that you know um and I think actually that's one way where this uh, story of uh, the battle with the giants played. They, it says they hit him with a club. They didn't just like take a string, <laughs>
0: right? And wipe all so the. So they, time. they <laughs> had to or fight with, their own with, battle in that
1: case. Yeah, or or with Typhon, they d- used some deception um, and uh, yes, uh, drugged him a little bit. But they again, they didn't just uh, break out a string and, right. and <laughs> said, yeah. You know, so. Um, yeah, so I, I think I think that probably. Doesn't seem to be consistent with uh, the stories that we get. So that's now makes sense. So, all right. So, I think that I think we're both uh, for Prometheus. So, uh, yep. it scores one nothing Prometheus. Very good. And that brings us to curriculum deity, uh, which is a bit of the it factor. Who would you rather yes. be? Who would you rather worship? And I'll let you start start us off there.
0: Yeah. So so who who would you rather be? So clearly, in the case of Prometheus, uh, a rough upbringing, uh, which is kind of a common theme among a lot of these, with the family he grew up with, alienated by them because he, of course, fought on the other side of the war. Yeah. He was, you know, his had one brother who was sentenced to a lifetime of pain. The other was essentially providing a lifetime of annoyance. <laughs> So, you know, not the best place to be. Um, He did get to make things. He got to be creative. He was sort of the first strategist, the first creative director. So I feel a certain kinship to him there. Um, And what he designed, his his sort of his main invention, human beings have been pretty enduring, I would say, however flawed, but they have stood the test of time. Uh, So the the pride of of creation there is pretty strong. Um, That said, I don't know about you, but uh, generations worth of bondage and torture every day, uh, not yeah. great. Does not no. sound pleasant.
1: <laughs> no, no, that, yeah, you, you just really can't talk your way around the uh, eagle ripping out your liver every, every morning. No. Um,
0: and I'll, yeah. that was the only time period that I was able to get was generations worth. So it was, it was many, many years yeah. uh, of it essentially being an unbroken cycle. So it's a mixed bag in terms of being, uh, in right. terms of following, you know as a Titan, there's not much evidence that they were worshipped. I mean, for good reason, right? They, they sort of, mm-hmm. they lost the ultimate war by the time the world of worship was set up. It was really in service of the Olympians. Uh, so even though there were temples everywhere for the Olympians, there really almost none for Prometheus to be found uh, in in the day. And it was right. bad form to follow or worship a Titan. I mean, it was just, it was out of fashion, right? It was the, right. like being a like a civil war reenactor in the North or being, you know, (laughs) or continuing to be a fan of Bill Cosby. You know, just, it was, Mm -hmm. it may have made sense at one time, no longer. Um, There was an exception. So in Athens uh, he was worshiped right alongside Athena and Hephaestus. So you've mentioned Hephaestus or Vulcan, good good kinship there. They both had sort of attachments to fire in their way and had some, some, some common friends. And in Athens, the Pan-Athenaic festival the most important civic festival at Athens they had in in the honor of Prometheus a torch race where they would okay. begin at the altar they would you know it was located outside the, the boundary of the city they would light the torch pass it through the district where the potters and the other artisans lived so as a shout out to the friends of the yeah. face and uh, to Prometheus and then they would make it all the way into the city they would ultimately kindle it at the sacrificial fire on the altar of Athena to conclude the festival so that is, you know, obviously a nice, not only a nod to Prometheus bringing us fire, but a, a forbear to our Olympic Games traditions, which right. to me is an interesting irony that the inspiration for the Olympics is, in fact, a titan. No, yeah.
1: So, no. uh,
0: not many options to follow him, uh, just due to it being kind of a bad timing situation. But right. I think the the honor they gave him at that festival is pretty cool. So. You know, I would, not the sort of largesse or grandeur that you get from from worshiping one of the Olympian gods, but for a titan, about the best you can
1: do. Right, and I would assume that maybe uh, there would be some consideration that Zeus wouldn't be all that hip on you worshiping Prometheus. Probably
0: no, no, not a fan. Although ne- neither would any of the other gods. I mean, they were all yeah. in their own ways really interested in themselves being worshipped. So, not kind of a bad deal for the worshiper. But you're right, plenty of plenty of oppositional forces, especially given the given his frenemy.
1: So yes, he yeah. would have a problem with it. Right. Uh, so uh, on the more, eh, you know, they're have a very busy career. I'm not sure it's totally filling, but it's, it's extremely busy. <laughs> um, they're a little bit, you know, so married to their work, but they always had companionship. Uh, we really get a, a lot of sense of how they, they got along really, but you know, they're always, always together, very busy. Um you know, they have that place I talked a little bit about in Olympus where their tapestry is held. Mm-hmm. Um, so and they also had uh so spent some time down in Hades, um, where you know we get a little bit of that, and you know, the more I bring the souls down and with one gesture damn them. Mm. So that's fun. And they um, and they got
0: to kind of a work release permit or visa of sorts in Hades. They were able to come as as yeah as visitors yeah, so. didn't have to stay like everybody else did so that's kind of cool
1: no they can come and go as they please and, and uh they, you know they had a place on olympus uh they spent a lot of time on earth yeah so they're trapped tra- a lot of travel yeah like work travel see yeah, the world yeah. <laughs> it's not, not, not the not same as good. leisure but it, it's no. rewarding in its way no. yeah um so and in addition to i mentioned they're kind of add-ons in zeus's temples uh but there were some hymns uh written to the moray and uh Couple of which actually survive, um, and talks about them weaving with adamantine shuttles, countless mm. inescapable devices. Uh, mentions the three, three, and then calls you all terrible de- deities of heaven. Mm. So um, send us rose bloomed order and bright throned sisters justice. So not bad. Got some tunes, yeah. And there was a uh, a More festival. And this is, uh, in Greece, um, in sort of, a, a more, um, backwaterish place. <laughs> and, uh, so they had, uh, one day each, each year they would celebrate a festival, uh, to the More, and they would offer a sheep, uh, that was, I said, big with young. So about to give birth great and, with child. Yes. Yes. Great, great with child. Yeah. And, and uh, they would, uh, sacrifice that sheep and offer it, uh, To the Moray sisters, which I think is obviously a reference to their role in uh, childbirth. Absolutely. Um, And then they have us an altar out in an open space in a grove. You know, Mm -hmm. so not bad. Uh, So you know, that's that's what I have on them. I think the key there is they were not tied up to a rock and have their their liver uh, back (laughs) down. It's it's an
0: adventurous life, but not that adventurous. No no liver boarding. Yeah.
1: No, no, so uh, that uh, so I, I'm gonna go with uh, the more, more the I think the kind of even evenish on the the worship element, but yeah. the not being tortured element uh, is
0: I, I think I agree yeah, the torture does put it over the edge. It, you know, there was a part of me as I was thinking about it that, because he really did live a very full life, because he was there at the beginning, he saw the war, he saw the creation of humankind, he had the pride of ownership and all these humans that created. Like he lived a big life, yeah. But the torture at the end of it is a very large but, and it lasted a long time. So yeah. I think I think I join you. I think I will go with the Maori on this one too, uh, mm-hmm. both in terms of being and worshiping. It feels it feels like a a double win for them. Yeah. In a. In a you know, less adventurous but also less tortured existence <laughs> right
1: um, a little, little more of the quiet life so all right so that brings us to one and one and yes. it also brings us to our third category which is good god yes and that is in this context you know better character uh, and i'll take this one first so mm-hmm. in terms of you know surfaces to mankind they're both birth goddesses and and uh death goddesses mm-hmm. so um i don't know if those are both necessary things but may- maybe they are um and i think you know there's a sense to me um in which you know their their job is kind of keeping the world in balance and, and keeping order um i sort of thought about it in this way of sort of like similar to um back to the future sort of that's okay uh, that that time space continuum that yes. you know if if things get off, you know, like, oh, if we let this go, then You're that's right. gonna have all these unintended consequences. Yep. And we're gonna have to do this whole section of the tapestry over again. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, it's just, our calendars are already very full. Yeah, our calendars <laughs> are already very full. I don't have time for this. So that kid's gotta go. Um, you know, so so I think creating order in the years, and I I, I do think that was uh kind of did come through in the way they were, were talked about and some, some of them and, and some of the later philosophers were who were really uh, very big into predestination mm. uh, where, where they're, they're viewed as very powerful figures where the, the universe all sort of plays out all as almost a film. Right. And then it ends and actually starts again and plays out again. Yes. Um, so, you know, so that, that's their service. Um, but there's also a sense in which they are harsh and unfeeling and, and cold and, um, there's the birth of heracles where uh you know they torture a woman to near madness yes um, and then there's the
0: i mean they could claim that they were just following orders and Hera made them yeah. do it but that's no excuse
1: no and uh, uh and then there's admetus where um you know they uh they you know, decided, well, the innocent woman has to go. And then uh, also in Heracles, the add-on is, you know, then they went after uh, the friend, uh, yes. too, and turned, turned her into... Uh, into the weasel. Into the weasel. So, you know, those are definitely uh, down marks for them. <laughs> right. fixed so, bag. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, you know, I, I think we covered a lot of, of Prometheus's character. I think, you know, the sense that he was breaking the rules, but doing it for the right reasons, whether it was his family, whether it was... You know, getting in the way of of the relationship between Zeus and his worshippers. As I said, there's great character in sticking up for the little guy for all the love that Go he ahead. did show us as humans. Uh, there's great character in in keeping his mouth shut and over all that torture, never betraying his secret. Yeah, uh, that's huge, and that's not something we could all say that we would do. One little footnote that's interesting. I I, I was tempted to kind of say his his notion to be a trickster was a strike against him, but I remember there are some who believe that his the trick that he played at the dinner party on Zeus was actually somewhat intentional to make Zeus look good. So the argument there is it wasn't to make him look bad and to say, you know, I deceived you, you picked the wrong pile. It was to give Zeus an opening to prove how powerful he was. So if okay. it had been and this is this is just a sort of a side theory, but if it had, right. if Zeus had been able to sort of choose the obvious choice, get all the good meat, have sacrifices go as as planned forever, he wouldn't have the opportunity to, to, to do things like create woman, like, or do things like, you know, awesome torture exercises. Like Prometheus. <laughs> so I'm not sure he was, he didn't have yeah, the foresight about that, yeah. to, to think about all those things, but uh, there is a theory that as this sort of master strategist, that that move was an opportunity to actually make his gig to, to allow his boss an avenue to exercise his power, which would right. elevate him even further in the pantheon of Olympus. So how much sure I buy it?
1: It still feels like trickery to me, but yeah. It, it's an interesting footnote. Well, I mean, maybe he did. Maybe he did have the foresight to see what happened and and was willing to take that price, which, uh, yeah, makes it a little better. So I, I'm going to go. I'm going to go with Prometheus on 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 this one. I think I, think I, that's I kind of well. obvious.
0: Yes, I, I think if if nothing else, the the maintaining the secret over all those generations is pretty strong. So yes, I, I'm with you. I think Prometheus scores on both both fronts there.
1: All right. So um, now we come to iconography uh and this is the legacy of the god both uh in their own time and uh in ours and how much they've carried forth uh so this is kind of an interesting one a lot of times in in the past episodes i've gone through their names and what's kind of lived in and in their name and i will do that uh here but i think there's also uh some more um indirect or or more sort of stylistic things about how the moray sisters have have come down uh but you know there is so things the name moira is fairly popular but Mm. unfortunately very little of that popularity actually comes from uh the greek goddesses is mostly uh an irish name oh uh, of completely different derivation so uh i don't think you can really really uh count that bit of a count that one yeah, a bit of a stretch. Um, so there, I found a, more a uh Wealth Management fund. Uh, so I guess they're, they're they're trying to to portray that they uh, are fated to take two percent of your money every year. Um, Leave our fees to the fates. <laughs> yes, there you go. Don't look into it too much. Um, so uh, the there's the more a, design house of, of women's fashion you know they're threading they're they're, they're yeah. selling so yeah, there you synergy go. i love it that, that's a connection um there's a stephen king book uh called insomnia hmm. uh, and actually my, my wife glued me into this one that has uh three bald doctors clotho lachesis uh who end life when it's a person's time and then atropos who Delights in Senseless Early Deaths. Okay. And and that's uh, a Stephen King book, I think from the 90s. Um, There is a book series called Broken Fate, uh, Threads of Moray books. Um, And this one, I'll give it a little little quote from the thing about this one. This is more of a a YA sort Mm of uh, book. And it says, Zeus gave her one simple job, kill every human. (laughs) Atropos, daughter of Zeus, and the third goddess of the fates in Greek mythology spends her eternal life snipping human lifelines when their mortal lives are over. Uh, but then she gets sent into a high school. And <laughs> so, so she, she's in a high school while, she, while, while she's doing this. Uh, and, and then um, she meets a boy who has a uh, terminal illness and, and, of course, falls in love with him. Yes,
0: uh, I would take issue with, with that being one simple job. Yeah, raging for the death of all humans. But hey,
1: right. So yeah, and and going to high school while you're doing it. Yeah,
0: that's right. It's
1: (laughs) got YA hit written all over it. It does. Um, So, uh, and each so each of them has an asteroid named after them. Mm. Uh, There are three three asteroids. Um, uh, There is a Clotho gene, which is believed to be responsible for aging in mammals. Okay, and so so they named it after Clotho. In terms of fate, uh, there's an Atropos knife, uh, which is a uh, ballad song or butterfly knife, mm. um, uh, is, is illegal in all fifty states. And uh, <laughs> is that true? Yes, uh, it is. <laughs> it's it's they said it, it's. If the if the police uh, pull you over and find it, with it, they they are, they will confiscate. It.
0: I'm hoping you're saying that there's a special holster for it that you keep. In, no, in there's the no holster. The okay.
1: Yeah. This episode. So, um, there for, uh, Lachesis is the name of a genus of bushmaster, uh, venomous snakes. Okay. And then the venom from those snakes is also a homeopathic, uh, remedy, uh, for a wide variety of ailments, including fear paranoia nervous system problems circulatory complaints throat or mouth problems particularly indicated if it gets worse in spring for some reason so and keep, in some
0: circles also COVID. you, you never know yeah
1: just yeah it's, so it's, keep 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 <laughs> an eye on it uh, if it gets worse in spring uh and of course with uh myopathy take as little as possible Good. preferably none um <laughs> so and then you know so those are all those things um but then I did want to say that you know there is really that kind of image of these three women spinning the thread of fate. I think does sort of survive, and and it is a, an image that is uh, in people's sort of subconscious of, of fates. Um, sure. And in fact, uh, we may get this to this in a later season, uh, but the uh, Norse gods had three. The, I believe the Norns. Mm. Who, who spun fate and uh, were three sisters who spun the threat of fate. So you know it, it uh, was uh, carried on there. Um, but yeah that's 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 it. So it's it's not huge, but definitely not nothing. Uh, yeah yeah, it definitely comes through in some. Things. so all right well where we
0: go. I cannot talk about Prometheus without quoting the fire alarm in the building of Gremlin's 2, the new batch. <laughs> which announces fire, the untamed element, oldest of man's mysteries, giver of warmth, destroyer of forests, toaster of marshmallows, eradicator of dead wood, the scourge of Prometheus. (laughs) Now, to be fair, I I added the last part on from Sideshow Bob from an old Simpsons episode, but they do really (laughs) mesh nicely together. Uh, The ultimate piece of legacy, fire, as we said, it was not just the the flame itself, but all the, the tools that it gave us. Um, and in a way, you know, he, because of the, of the punishment, he also gave us meat. So as a piece of legacy, he less, or at least let men keep it rather than sacrifice it. So if not for Prometheus, like what, we'd all be vegetarian. I mean, no thanks. You know, so that that's, that's pretty good because of his punishment for that trick. We have women, as I mentioned. So, I mean, all all right. So think of it that way, Andrew, like without Prometheus, we would be freezing all winter with nothing (laughs) but a bunch of dudes eating nothing but mac and cheese and ramen. So essentially the experience you and I both had in college would be <laughs> happening forever. So we owe it all to Prometheus that we got. This oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Culturally, we talked about everything from Plato to Shakespeare to Ayn Rand. So very present Mary Shelley's Frankenstein is part of his legacy that the subtitle that was the modern Prometheus. So that was oh, yeah, you know, yeah. Frankenstein was in fact uh, the sort of lone genius archetype, the master of unintended consequences thought he was being creative in a good way. And that led him elsewhere. Um, there is an element. So there is an element Uh um, okay. symbol PM atomic number 61, uh, all radioactive, every isotope, extremely rare, only about five or 600 grams of it naturally occurring on earth, but it's useful. A little bit of, of promethium is used in a specialized atomic batteries. So they're like the size of a little pin okay. and they're used for like pacemakers, guided missiles and radios. Which I wow. thought was fascinating, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and because That's it actually. is radioactive, when it decays, it gives off a little bit of phosphorus light, which can be converted into electricity by a solar cells. So that is how it's able to power everything from a pacemaker in your heart to a guided <laughs> missile in the, in the air. <laughs> um, it's hard to get a hold of. Not a lot of it. Yeah. But it's still a pretty cool element. Uh, you mentioned asteroids for, for, for the sisters. Uh, we've got a moon of Saturn is Prometheus also okay. Prometheus name of a volcano on EO, which is another moon of Saturn. So he's got multiple holdings in the, uh, the Saturn <laughs> complex yeah. uh, in
1: space. Heavily invested up there.
0: Heav- yeah. He's got it's really spreading, spreading the wealth around up it there. Um, it's named the Prometheus name is carried by all sorts of like rocket engines. There's a natural fit for anything involving fire. So there's spacecraft, uh, there's reusable engines that are in development. They're real. There's one in, that's proposed by a company right now called the Prometheus. There are fictional uh, spaceships in both Star, Star Trek and Stargate uh-huh. called the Prometheus, not Star Wars. So they've they, they stayed out of that, thankfully. Yep. Um, and you mentioned uh, the, the, the snake, the counter, the counter effect on that for Prometheus, there is a moth called the Prometheus Cocris that is found in Brazil and Paraguay. And when I learned about this, I was very, very excited. My first thought was, if I were to be brought back and reincarnated as this moth, I would want my nickname to be Promotheus. (laughs) But then I realized that's just not how nicknames
1: work. If if they did. You can't pick it yourself.
0: You can't pick it yourself. And if they did work that way, I would be Homat Sapiens, which is an objectively terrible name. So we'll we'll leave that off the table. Uh, But I think. Apart from all the sort of culture ramifications, one really cool thing about the legacy is that, and we'll get to finally a little musical tie-in here. So you mentioned the songs for the Moray. Well, there is a Prometheus chord in music. Okay. Are you aware of this? So no. it is a six note chord. Uh, it is, it's the harmonic and melodic basis for the later works by a composer named Alexander Scriabin, who was Russian. So uh, you know, it's in bad form to, to popularize him in this day and age. Uh, but the guy died a hundred years ago. So I can't really, oh, blame yeah, you what's yeah. happening now. but uh, all of the sort of scales that he used for his later work are combined into this. It's also called the mystic chord. Uh, I'm sure you'll recall from music theory, a quartal hexachord consisting of an augmented fourth, diminished fourth, augmented fourth, and then two perfect fourths. Andrew, would you like to hear this chord? Cause I, oh, I yeah. have it prepared for you right here. That's so it's a little spooky because you have all those fourths kind of piled up and, and right, right. it sounds a little something like this. Yeah. So kind of like, a, like a Titan itself, daunting, a little scary, maybe not terribly useful, but sort of weirdly impressive in its huh. own way. So are we sure that was a chord? <laughs> it's, just, it's very it was, real. I, I I have the sheet music in front of me right here. I can. Excellent. I can, all, right. all right. Yeah. So I think, you know, I didn't go into full depth on the, the sort of cultural pieces and all of literature, just because we, we, we only have this brief time that we have for all this right. podcast. But, uh, I think in terms of legacy, I do have to give it to Prometheus. I think there's, there's some impressive penetration and echoes that, that the, the more I have had in, in some areas of life, but ultimately Prometheus is, is really quite omnipresent. Uh, so I think he gets my vote here.
1: Yeah, he's got those two movies, right. Which I don't know. Yeah. There's a, one of the, there's a movie
0: I think in the <laughs> alien series, like later on. I, I, I yeah, did yeah, not
1: see, yeah, missed okay. that one. Um, I, yeah. I don't know what it's about. I just know the name of it. So, um, yeah, no, I, I think I agree with you on, on, on this one. I think, uh uh, you know, you, I think actually, if you add, you know, say who the more sisters are, that you know, pe- people are thinking it's a 40s uh, singing group or something, <laughs> but uh, so I uh, I think you know, the fates, you know, the fact that we pluralize it right, uh, kind of comes from them when we say the fates, uh, but uh, it's a little bit more vague in yes. terms of, of yeah. uh, them as characters, so so yeah, I, I think uh, that that is true, so. Uh, you know, that says it is three to one, hmm. so uh, yeah, uh, you know, the more sisters uh cannot win on points, but maybe uh, the story is going to be so great <laughs> that it's just it's a lot of pressure, <laughs> yes, it's a lot of pre- puts a lot of pressure, It's going to blow, blow it back into it. But you know, you got to give it your shot, you got to play it out, That's it. Um, uh, you know, and for um, for the record, you know, we need to know the final score, so let's go That's on. Right. And uh, to matinee idol. And uh, so, you've, so you were going to go first on this one?
0: Yes. <clears throat> so who would make a better movie? Uh, now, last episode, when we talked about Hades, I had talked about sort of a, a bit of a romantic comedy twist. On, on Hades, he was, the, he was you know managing the building. He had the bartender. It was a lovely story. Um, I'm picturing something similar here for, for Prometheus, but this time it's a buddy comedy, and it, it is a little bit dark. But this is about picture, and you know, maybe it's a, let's call it a limited series as opposed to a movie. You know, cause, cause a lot of stories, we need to, to, yeah, to yeah, space yeah. it out. Um, but it takes place, it is about Prometheus while he is in bondage in those Caucasus mountains during his torture. But it's all told from the point of view of the eagle. <laughs> so I'm picturing Clint Eastwood as the old Titan, you know, kind of classic. He's seen it all, gigantic. Uh, and comedian Gilbert Gottfried as as the eagle who is feasting out. Now, you laugh, but you <laughs> may remember Gilbert Gottfried has played birds on multiple occasions. He played the parrot in Aladdin. He played the voice of the duck in the Aflac commercial. So he's very well prepared for this role, eminently qualified. So each episode, while the eagle is going in at Prometheus's liver, Prometheus sits back and tells him a tale. From his past and he goes through oh, them okay. all. He talks about making man, he talks about the trick with the whole sacrifice, Pandora, the whole deal. And the Eagle is doing his job and pecking away, but he's finding these stories very fascinating. And and so much so that Prometheus at the end of it is one, he's really got his attention, he senses an opening and kind of says, Hey, Eagle, I'm glad you're digging it. And what do you say? You uh you let me go, huh? But every episode, the eagle recognizes who his boss is and he says, That's a great story. But why don't you tell me that story? Zeus doesn't want me to hear. Prometheus says, I can't do it, old friend. And then every episode starts again with a new story, right. and a new day. There's a B story where Epimetheus, the idiot brother, is trying to save him, but he keeps getting lost. He keeps getting distracted, <laughs> never really arrives. But this is the comic relief in the background. Yeah. But there's a serious finale. So after all the tales are told, uh, Prometheus and the eagle have grown older. They've They've gone through this, this, this. Delicate dance of torture for generations now, and they've grown to respect each other in a certain way. And at this point, finally, they've they've achieved a certain detente. And wouldn't you know it, Hercules shows up. And in this case, for the show, instead of killing Eagle, Hercules captures the eagle, and he frees Prometheus from his chains. Now, I should mention Hercules in this show is played by Jimmy Stewart as a resurrected CGI character. <laughs> some some stunt casting, but you know you got to have it. So Hercules. He's got the bird, and he, he, he takes it over to Prometheus. He says, no, not, not Prometheus, I've got to run. I've got to complete some labors here. I've got things to do, but I've, I've still got this eagle here. So, so, so what do I do with the eagle? And the audience is wondering, is Prometheus going to forgive this old friend he's, he's grown so, so so close with? Her, Hercules says, so what do I do? What do I do with the old bird? The eagle kind of looks and says, forgive me? In the final shot, Prometheus just turns his weary head to the camera, and he says, "Well, hombre, I'm a titan, and I'm immortal. I've got all the time in the world, and now I've got myself a real taste for some eagle liver." And we cut to black, and that's <laughs> the. <laughs> there's, there's a quick squawk, ah! and we cut to black. The end. So I figured that I'll last at least a season. It's, it's, there's a lot of moving parts in it, but I think comedically it's really got a lot going on. So there's, there's, there's my movie and
1: I'm sticking to it. You know, I do, I do like that you cast it based on people. You could do. <laughs> was that how it seemed?
0: <laughs> I have a limited arsenal to play with here. I, guess. <laughs> I was going to have maybe Tom Brokaw instead of Jimmy Stewart, but it was, it was a game time decision.
1: Yeah, so that's good. I'll see if my daughter knows any of those people. <laughs> <laughs> Doubt it. Oh. Yeah. So, um, all right. Well, it's gonna be hard to follow that one up. Uh, but let's see what we can do. So, you know, as I said earlier, uh, the interesting action uh, with the Morey sisters is generally when things go awry and uh, it turns into an odd situation. It's also very episodic. There's not a lot of arc, you know, not a lot of backstory. So, you know, I decided to embrace that and uh, go with a limited series situation comedy. Nice. um, About the Moray sisters, uh, tentatively titled Moray Than We Bargained For. (laughs) It's so. So, you know, it's like the old the old school sitcoms uh, you have a situation set up and a resolution in uh, 22 minutes plus commercial breaks. Right. Uh, then everyone usually finds themselves back in the status quo ante, you know, right back where they began. And uh, I think that fits the fates, you know, it does. It is sort of <laughs> like, like I said, something happens, they, they set it back to, right. Um, sort of a balance things, things get out of balance. Things get upset. And then they're restored, and we're, we're back where we started. Um, maybe a little bit of a, a dark comedy. Um, mm-hmm. Set it in NYC, uh, you know, just because there, there's no reason to explain how they live in such a big apartment because they're <laughs> goddesses. <laughs> That's after right. All, so they can have whatever <laughs> apartment they want. Yeah, and it's a
0: sitcom. Uh, it's how it's done.
1: Yeah, and uh, Tantalus uh, would be a recurring character. Mm. Uh, you know, some scenes down in uh, Hades, uh, we can do the Adamidas thing um, and maybe they get lifespans mixed up with uh, two babies and they have to, you know, switch them out or something like that. Uh, and I'm going to have uh, clotho played by Mindy Kaling. Nice. Uh is played by Julia Louise Dreyfus <laughs> and Atropos played by Catherine O'Hara. <laughs>
0: Excellent. Great. And,
1: cast. Uh, and uh, Tantalus. Uh, recurring character played by rain Wilson, so who was uh, Dwight Schrute from, of course, uh, The Office. So, you know, that's it. Uh, go through those things and they just keep going and they, and you can run it forever, just that's like right. Fates. You know, the, year after year. The networks love that. Just keep keep the content coming. 22 episodes a year. Uh, so, yeah, so that's, that's, uh, that's what I have. So, um, yeah, it's interesting. I, I think... Be I mean, honest, I think I'm going to go with uh, with Prometheus on this one. I think there's some rich
0: storytelling there,
1: despite the, yeah. uh, the unconventional casting. <laughs> the, you know, I think uh, you, 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 <laughs> there's the, the a cast, little casting issues, maybe. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, you had the element of, you know, kind of doing it in um, flashback, but, you know, right. there's already a couple plays about it. You just and they're out of copyright, so you can just lift whole sections. <laughs> yeah, those are definitely public domain. Yeah, yeah. yeah does, does not uh, they're you know predate uh, Disney, so they go back yes. far enough. So, yeah, uh, I, I think that that's that's the correct one. So that makes it four to one. I I, I believe so. So I think uh, Prometheus gets
0: uh, gets a decisive win here, but yes, not this for is- lack of competition. Certainly some some good efforts on behalf of the Mori sisters. I'd say.
1: Yeah, it, it was an interesting one, but this is our our, our our biggest winner. So we'll see if that, when we get to the end, if that um, bodes well for him, or we or, shall see. Uh, we shall see. So
0: after, after the nail biting finish of episode four, a little bit of a, a, a bit more of a blowout is maybe some of a relief to the audience. Just a yeah. little bit less pressure. Right. Outstanding. So. Well, that will do it. I think we're about a time, my friend. So, uh, as usual, our thanks to the great. Chicago-based DJ musician Andy Snow for our theme music andysnow.dj. We're available for subscription anywhere you can find podcasts. We ask you to if you if you like it, to like it, to subscribe, to give us a, a nice five-star review if, if you feel we're worthy of it. And of course, find us on Twitter, God versus God Pod. God versus God.com is a website, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, all of it. The the playlist every week, Andrew and I yep. curate, carefully curate two songs for our representative gods to add to that playlist it begins with a full version of course of the theme song to the show but then it goes deeper into each of our episodes we encourage you to visit that
1: all right so yeah give us a review Uh, if you've reviewed us on one platform there's no law against you reviewing us on another i'm glad you Uh, mentioned that yes mm -hmm. don't uh, go hard wild tell a friend uh, whatever you can do uh we appreciate it so thanks for joining us thank you very
0: much and we will see you on episode six very shortly andrew as always a pleasure my friend and yes Adios, listeners. We'll see you next time. Bye.